Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora and welcome back to Beyond Consultation, or maybe it's welcome to you if this is your first episode and what a good place to start, episode number 38. And I say what a place to start because today's guest is Amy Hubbard, who works at Capir, a consulting firm over in Australia, and she has lived and breathed community engagement right since she left university which I think is kind of unusual because a lot of the people who I have on this show fall into it gradually, slowly through, you know, some experience four, five, 10, 15 years into their career. But Amy's just been there the whole time. And as a result, she has got a wealth of stories that are just sitting there, I think, in the back of her brain, ready to pull out for the right person, for the right moment. And we do talk a lot, actually, about how do you communicate the value of community engagement, particularly within an organization? How do you show somebody who is sitting there with their finance hat on, their risk hat on, their project delivery hat on, and say, this is why you need to involve the community at the outset and throughout this entire project? It's not just some nice philosophical reason as to why you should, but actually it's about really managing risks. So Amy shares a little bit of how she thinks about that conversation and how she plans for it. Today's show really is a lot about planning. And I want to do a little thought experiment with you here. Imagine you're doing a typical engagement project. Maybe there's a vacant plot of land in your city and you work for the owner of the land. I don't know, it might be council, government agency, iwi organization, community organization. Your role is about making sure a good decision is made about the land's use. So, you know, let's kind of split your phases of your work into you've got your planning phase, engagement phase, and your reporting or wrapping up phase. I want you to just think how much time would you like? What percentage of your time would you like to be spending in the planning phase, getting ready? Because that's what Amy, well, she puts forward a number that she's thinking about. This is the percentage of time I want to spend. And it might surprise you. So that probably gives you a bit of a flavor of what today's episode is about. If you are wanting to better communicate the value of engagement within your organization, you want to be well prepared for when you go out and talk to people, but not over prepared, um, then Amy's going to share some really useful tools that will help you. And just a quick shout out before we get started in today's episode, I'm really grateful to people who are spreading the word about this show. One of those people is Blair from the DIA. You know who you are, Blair. Thank you for sharing the show and just talking about it because the more people who find out, the more we can build a movement around people who are trying to do more than just tick the box of consultation. So that's enough of an introduction for today's episode. Please Give a warm welcome to the show, to Amy Hubbard. So, Amy, I'm very pleased to welcome you onto the Beyond Consultation podcast. Thanks for joining me. 
Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm very happy to be here today. Away yeah, from and... my away from the homeschooling and talking about the thing that I love, which is engagement and consultation. Perfect. And we've got Matthew Crozier to thank for you being on here, actually. So he was on the show back in uh, episode 10. And at the end, I always ask people, you know, who inspires you? And you were one of the people he mentioned. And so, yeah, keen to explore some of your community engagement stories and experiences. But before we get into that kind of stuff, let's let people know a little bit about you, Amy. And you know, as I was looking at your your bio, and it seems like you're a little bit unusual in that you just kind of got straight into community engagement work, whereas a lot of people seem to slowly come around to it. So yeah, yeah. how did yeah. that happen for you? So when I finished high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do other than leave regional Victoria, go to Melbourne, <laughs> live at one of the colleges at Melbourne Uni, go to university. And I enrolled in a degree which was focused on marketing. And that was fine. You know, that was not my passion at all. But but from doing that degree, there were opportunities to live in Japan. So by the time I was, I started university at 17, I was quite young. By the time I was 19, I was living in Osaka, doing a range of different things, like, you know, teaching English. I was working at the Plaza Hotel, a few other things. But what really stayed with me from day one of the experience in Japan with the social and environmental uh, inequalities that were happening and right. the issues around society. And also they have a very interesting relationship with the natural environment as well. So how do their culture is they've got this deep relationship with the natural environment. But then the other part is this really disposable lifestyle and economy. And, mm. you know, it just, anyway, so I, <laughs> I took all those experiences in Japan and I came back to Melbourne and I enrolled in two degrees. One was social environmental policy, which was around activism, getting communities to create change. And the other was a really practical degree in urban planning. Because I was always told if you want to work overseas, you need to have something more practical. Like you, as a social right. environmental policy person, what do you label yourself? Urban planner, <laughs> you're an urban planner. Yeah, yeah. There's a job yeah. waiting for you at the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, you, and you can work anywhere as an urban planner, really. Framework and uh, planning scheme might look different, but it's, you know, really it's, it's the same sort of skills. But I got a job at GHD as a graduate after doing the double degrees. And in year one of being an urban planner at GHD, I had a full range of conversations, both with clients and people internally about where the community sat in these planning decisions, because mm. I was so junior and at the time I was based in Melbourne, but doing planning work all over Australia. And I'd be like, but how do I know? But how do mm. I know? And where was the voice of the community? So from there, I worked in international development where the voice of the community is very loud and very strong and very respectful. That was back in 2002, 2003. By the end of 2004, I was heading up community engagement as a new discipline for GHD globally. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, so I was quite young, <laughs> 2003, you know, that's 18 years ago, um, spent a few years doing that. And then about 15 years ago, Chris Robinson, who's the other founder of Kapia, he was the head of sustainability at GHD. We kind of joined forces and we started Kapia. And Kapia is a really, you know, it's, we're a B Corp, so we've got very strong values around social and environmental issues and how we work with communities and our employees and every impact that we can have on society through our business. And Kapia works all through Australia. We've never done any work in New Zealand. 
But then oh. we but then we've done lots of work in Malaysia, Timor Leste, Bangladesh, Samoa. You know, we've done work all, all around the region. Yeah. Mm. So but what it all boils down to with the community engagement we do is it community engagement for social impact. You know, we're always going to have a community centric view of things, not the project or the proponent or trying to get the thing done and completed yeah. and delivered on. So we're very much around inclusive engagement, engagement that is true as in it's meaningful because a lot of the engagement I see now is not. It's really the, the tell, yell, sell of getting the road built or the mm. master plan through planning to get the yeah. houses built. And that's a different type of engagement to what we mm. do. So, yeah, mm. so it's a little bit about me. Hey, thanks for taking us, the, us through that, Amy. And really interesting to hear that you know, when you started in GHD, community engagement almost sounds like it just wasn't really a thing. And it was an add-on. It's an add-on. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, and, what have you noticed in your career about how things have progressed generally in the, the, the field of community engagement? So in those 20 or so years, we've gone from it being this add-on to to work. Even as a consultant, you'd, you'd get a project brief and at 90% of the fees would be around the technical services and 10 would yeah. be around the engagement, but then the technical services would overrun and then you have, you know, 2% for the engagement. So they're just, they just wasn't, uh, for, for a long time, there wasn't the recognition of the importance of it. But the main things that have happened in the 20 years is decision makers, technical ex experts have started to respond and respect to the community's expertise you know that mm. they have their own expertise to bring to the table and you know they get that so that's been one but it takes a project or an individual experience for a lot yeah. of those decision makers to change and it can be a flick of the switch yeah. i worked on a, a dam project years ago and the community identified an environmental risk which ended up saving the project you know something like three million dollars and, and six months of time and at that point, I think the whole of GHD were, who, who were there at the mm. time were like, oh, oh, the community, if we hadn't had <laughs> that community it. reference, I, we get it. So that's yeah. been a big thing. Can I jump in with a question yeah. there? So like when you're working with an organisation and they haven't had that light bulb moment yet, do you just sit around and, and sort of eventually wait for the penny to drop? Or what else has been helpful to kind of speed up that moment? Yeah, so it's always about bringing those case studies and examples to the table. So as a consultant, we're really good at selling ourselves. And <laughs> to, to sell your skills as an engagement professional, you need to be able to tell the story of the change that's happened, tell the story of the outcomes of the engagements in a way that resonates with that audience. So mm. if I'm meeting with the minister, they're looking for different things in that story to you know, an exec deck of a department as opposed to a CEO of a property developer. They're looking mm. for different things. So, you know, you need to communicate that impact or that process in different ways. It really is an evidence base. And having worked in engagement now for over 20 years, I've got a lot of evidence floating around in my brain. And depending <laughs> on who I need to communicate the mm. importance of engagement to, I pick yeah. through my evidence and, and put it on the table. So I think you've got to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and just let those little stories, whether they're success stories or failure stories in a way, kind of bubble to the surface because sometimes the ones that hurt are the, the most painful ones. They're the lessons. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Exactly. And then one thing 
Matthew Crozier mentioned when, when he said, oh, you've got to get Amy on the show, was some of the work that you and the team at Capere do to set up an engagement process or project for success. Now, what yeah. is it that you th- you're doing at the start? What are you thinking about then? So first of all, you know, the planning of engagement is, like I think that is the key to the success. The delivery of engagement is good project management and good interpersonal mm. skills and facilitation. That's fine. But mm. it's the planning phase, there's the delivery phase, and then there's kind of the reporting and follow-up phase, which is phase mm. three. But I would say that 60% of your time should be in your planning phase. So if you're going out for four weeks of engagement, you need 12 weeks to prepare for it. So Mm -hmm. what do we do in the front end? We do a whole lot of different things. And this is a very purist approach. I I can recognize that a lot of people working under severe kind of horrain resource pressures and restrictions, they're not going to do what I'm about to describe, but this is what (laughs) we do. And this is what we, we hope to do. And generally we do do. So first of all, it's about defining the purpose of the engagement and having a shared ownership amongst project partners of what the purpose is. And even if the partners might all work in the same organisation, but you've got from the different teams at different levels, very mm. rarely that you'd have just one one person. So it's about yeah. what, what the purpose of the engagement is. It takes a lot of time. And mm. really being quite critical in understanding that as well, because a purpose can then inform things like objectives, your questions, your strategic questioning, where you're mm. going to be providing information or educating people rather than actually doing the listening or the deeper listening or handing mm. over the decision-making. So first of all, it's about understanding what the engagement's all about and making mm. sure all the partners own that. And kind of, it's almost like you accept that. This is our goalpost. Because mm. that sets your goalposts and everything else after that is about you know, how you prepare your strategy to get to, to your mm. outcome. We do a really deep dive into understanding the social landscape, so the community stakeholders, who they are. We go really broad. So we use this philosophy of inclusive engagement because if it's not inclusive, mm. it's exclusive. Um, and exclusive engagement is not okay in Australia and New Zealand where we have legislation around that, whether it's around human rights or equal opportunities. Yeah, if it's not inclusive, it's exclusive. And I say that Mm. to my government clients, it makes them very uncomfortable. But it's about understanding who the community is very broadly. And and Mm. you want the invitation to go broad so everyone knows that they've got an opportunity to participate, whether or not they take that opportunity up or not. It's about Mm. equitable opportunity to participate. They're the really Mm. important words there. To understand the community from the hidden voices, you know, the homeless people, people with disabilities, you know, children, of course, young people, culturally linguistically mm. diverse, newly arrived migrants, people in prisons, you know, there's gazillion mm. different voices. But mm. for every every project we work on, there is geographic communities, communities of affiliation and communities of interest. But we look at who the community is. From there, that should kind of inform what our toolkit looks like. And when we design up our toolkit for every one of those groups, we want to give them a handful of opportunities to participate. And some of those opportunities will overlap. You know, we might be engaging with the youth and the children and the parents at the same (laughs) forum, but some won't. So it's about getting Mm. that toolkit right. And I just laugh when I, in the last 18 months, so many clients have said, oh, our toolkit's a survey. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's not engagement. That is disengagement. You know, you, you don't just have one tool, one mm. medium, and, in, and a survey by itself is not engagement. Mm. You know, mm. it needs to be complemented with a whole lot of different things. <laughs> so it's about 
setting your goalposts, doing your due diligence and researching and really understanding that social land, understanding how they want to engage, designing your toolkit, testing mm. your toolkit, testing mm-hmm. it's really important with representatives of your community and stakeholders and then going out for delivery. But it's mm. a really, that designing of the strategy is, it's a very collaborative process. As a consultant, I wouldn't be going away and just sort of yeah. taking the information and just writing it. It just doesn't work like that. We need to do yeah. it together. And more often than not, which is disturbing, when we're doing the, or setting the goalposts for the client, I'll be like, so what's the purpose? What's the purpose? <laughs> and they're like, oh, we don't know. We don't know. And it's like, well, it's probably not the right time to engage. If you don't know what the purpose of the engagement is, and this mm. happens often. So, yeah, that's, yeah <laughs> that's, how, that's how we set them up. Yeah, Amy, yeah, that, that, thanks for giving us that rich understanding. And I love how you have given a number, actually, to I'm spending 60% of my time planning, preparing, setting the goalposts. Because, yeah, as you say, that, that's probably not the normal way that, thing, that people would be doing things. They they spend a week planning and then woof, they're straight in with the survey and uh, whatever it might be and then wondering why things um, don't quite go the way that they'd subconsciously hoped but hadn't yeah. consciously put down uh, on paper and figured out with their team. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I mean, if people are doing surveys and they've got one week notice, probably don't call it engagement because engagement is something bigger than that. Yeah. Um, it's deeper than that. And it's just, you know, you're looking, inviting some feedback. There's so many misunderstandings about what yeah. engagement is and what it isn't. Just call it what it is because when it's long-term strategic engagement, well, long-term strategic engagement is that's what I'm I'm describing and that's what we're yeah. employed to do. So it's a bit yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've read a bit from you about that and it's okay that it's not engagement. If it's information sharing, just call it that or yeah, this is an update rather than actually setting up expectations for something that it's not. Exactly. And, you know, I would always say, don't use the word engagement at all. We had a client that I was working with a few years ago and I went into the organization that had some really bad experiences with engagement. And I was like, okay, I want to understand this. And one of the experiences they shared was the the councillors, so the local government, the councillors thought they'd do all these sort of pop-ups in the community, you know, just to have those sort of informal chats with with constituents and business Mm. owners, and they called them engagement hubs. And so people that were going to them were people that had just got engaged, you know. So they were going (laughs) to find out about, you know, caterers or dresses or so. I, yeah, like the word engagement is, you know, it doesn't really mean much. It's jargon. It can mean so many different things. So that's why I spend a lot of time understanding what the purpose is. And there's a tool that I prepared a few years ago called the Engagement Triangle, and that's a tool that was used Mm. with our clients. And the Engagement Triangle really tries to nail the purpose because you can have one person going, yeah, we're going to do engagement. You can have another person going, yeah, we're going to do engagement. And they're talking about completely different <laughs> things. And, you know, you don't want that because once it's being delivered, especially if they're decision makers, they'll be like, what? Engagement yeah. is, a, is a speak out festival, you know, with young people. Whereas the other one was like engagement. That was going to be written submissions with, mm. you know, you know mm. yeah. so it's so important to understand what you're talking about before you go out and do the listening. Yeah, yeah. And can you tell us a bit 
more about that engagement triangle? I'm presuming there's there's three yeah. parts. And I actually, I've actually got one here, and I didn't oh, mean that. to have it. <laughs> so this is, I think, this is the most recent version of it. So I put this tool together, exactly that people around the table talking about engagement hmm. and meaning totally different things. And the story goes something like this: working in a local government, and I I had to put together an engagement framework. And to put together the engagement framework, I needed to go into the organisation and listen to what people were doing and what their mm. expectations and reflections were of engagement. So, so the first stop was I went to kind of the strategic comms area of local government. So right. they, did, they did things like websites and media releases. They wrote the mayor and the CEO's speeches. Mm. They managed internal comms as well. Right. And, you know, having the conversation with them, they were like, we own the voice of the organization. So we own engagement. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then the second stop was, was with the urban planners and the engineers. And they said, so they were really strong on what engagement was. But then their, their key message was the work that we do is enshrined in legislation. It says mm. that we have to engage. We're the only group within the organization <laughs> that has to engage, you know, we use workshops and pop-ups, submissions, mm. surveys, we own engagement. <laughs> and then the third team was community services. And they were like, right. we own engagement because every day we're dealing with meals on wheels or youth services. Mm. Every day, frontline, we've got the community coming to us. So that's what got me thinking. So the engagement triangle is about defining engagement based on three elements. So that strategic comms part of engagement, that's about building capacity or building knowledge, I would say. So that's mm. what they were doing, the voice, the planners and the engineers, they were about informing decisions. And, and we all know that that's what mm. the purpose of engagement is. And then the, the community services, they're about strengthening relationships. Mm. So the engagement triangle is actually, I'll put it up there, it is a tool. <laughs> And then, and then in this booklet, which you can find on our website, there's some different um, ways to use it. Depending on where you sit within uh, the triangle, there's different, you can see a matrix of tools mm. there. And there's worksheets and things that you can, you can use. I get people call me about that, call me. They email me about that all the time because, you know, someone in some strange place in Canada, they'll be like, we want to put this in our engagement framework because <laughs> the IAP2 core values or spectrums don't work for us, but this mm. does. So it's got some definitions in there as well. At the time, I was on maternity leave, so I thought about it a lot, like I really. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm going, one, that was actually one of my jobs for the sabbatical was redoing it because I don't want to use that language building capacity anymore. It's about, right. it's about, it's about sharing knowledge. Building capacity right. is a very sort of top-down approach. I'm going to build capacity and then walk away, whereas sharing, mm. sharing knowledge is much more balanced, I think, on, mm. on reflection. So yeah, mm. that's the engagement triangle. Oh, awesome. I mean, I'm definitely going to have to download that and jump into that for myself. So yeah, so three elements. So sharing knowledge, then there's the decision-making, and then there's the what's the community relationships. Yeah, and actually yeah. you need all three of those elements. And I guess, so then it's it's trying to figure out what's the balance in this particular conversation or process. So we've, as decision-making our core focus and we're going to do some relationship work as part of that and and then that sort of sets you off on the right track yeah exactly and so then yeah. depending on the focus and it might be uh, a one stage of engagement you use the tools for or it could be the whole engagement 
that will then inform the tools that you use because, mm. you know, if it's about strengthening relationships, there are different types of tools than informing decisions. At, at an IAP2 conference in Adelaide years ago, I don't know, maybe it was about seven or eight years ago. Well, I think it was longer than, yeah, no, maybe seven <laughs> or eight. So no, when I first did, did it, I'm thinking about how long ago, lost track of time in a pandemic. I've got no idea yeah. how old I am or what I'm doing. Um, but I got everyone in the room and I had the whole plenary, there were a few hundred people there to map on a engagement triangle worksheet, worksheet where they sat. So comms people were more about probably between relationships and, and capacity. The people that were more policy and planning, they were up around decisions. And so they all mapped it out and that we had a bit of a conversation about that. And then I said to them, if you had kind of unlimited time and resource, where would you like to be sitting? And they all mm. gravitated to the middle. They were like, they had a conversation at their table and they said, you know, as an urban planner that does engagement, mm. it's all about the decision, but wow, if I had time, mm. I would love it to be about building knowledge for people to understand urban change. But but also having really strong relationships with my stakeholders and communities, mm. but I just don't have time for that. Yeah. So I'm tested it in a few different ways and it seems to stack up. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And that's what you're touching on there. You know, the lack of time is such a tough one. And you mentioned that earlier, this is how we would do good engagement. And I recognize that for some people, that's just not possible and I know that some of the people who are listening they're in that situation maybe legislation says this is how you need to engage this is when you need to engage and this is the amount of time it is I'm interested in what you're seeing in Australia in particular that might give you sort of hope or that we can spend more time on engagement what's happening across the ditch what is happening across the ditch ditch in terms of spending more time on engagement and project teams are becoming more integrated because like as I said before you know you'd have a technical team of some sort and then you'd have this add-on this plugging of engagement but now there's more recognition of the profession so we are at the table and we've been involved in lots of big projects and there would be you know say it's like an alliance you know PPP kind of project and you've got all the project partners at the top at the big table and there wasn't mm. a role for us on mm. that table because we weren't the engineers or the construction guys or yeah. whatever they normally are construction guys and yeah. <laughs> and then we would say well actually you know that, that conversation is all about yeah. the key risks of the project we're on the next level down we want to be elevated up and mm. normally we would get that seat at the table so being part of the team mm. and that comes back to people valuing the work that we do and what we can bring to that table what else are people doing can I, can yeah. I ask you about sitting around that table with the, the construction people and the engineers. You know, I've heard someone recently said to me, everyone just got really annoyed with me as the engagement person around that table because I was asking questions and kind of throwing things in the mix that they saw as I was complicating things or slowing things down unnecessarily at the start. So what have your experiences been like around that top table, if you will? Again, you've got to you've got to use the right messages for that, that audience. So I mm. I use very much a risk management kind of lens. Mm. Put that put that lens on everything that I share at that table. They get it then. Mm. It's about risk management. But the community can stop projects very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. And then it's not just about the community stopping the project tools down. Um, this is for that type of project. You know, they're never going to stop a planning scheme redesign but you know they can stop a project they can destroy your reputation in one day i do talk about it in terms of risk the social impact assessment for a project doesn't go 
into deep engagement, but sometimes, you know, we can use that as a way to inform what we're doing and the rationale for why we may be going about things the way we are. But, you know, I, I think those conversations are difficult because the gender involved and that's a different issue altogether. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's like... Being at the table with a group of men, normally being a younger woman talking about yeah. something that they describe as fluffy, that's yeah. challenging in itself. So the whole thing yeah. is a bit challenging. But I've never that I needed to walk away on some projects. I have felt like I've needed to walk away for other things like politics, but that's that's very rare. But getting back to your big question about what others are doing here, the other, the other big thing happening in government, whether it's local government or state government, centralising engagement and this is happening all over the world so it could be that you know within a local government in Victoria you'll have a small team of engagement officers and they own the resources and the policy and the guidelines Mm. and they build the skills and the knowledge of the organisation around engagement because it's very difficult to have a small team that does all the engagement because there's so much engagement going on. Um, mm-hmm. Most local governments that I've worked with over the last couple of years, at any point in time, they have well over 60 or 70 engagements, live mm-hmm. public engagements yeah. going on. So it's that centralised model focused on support and skills yeah. that's mm-hmm. very popular now. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm almost picturing someone standing at the centre of your triangle and kind of looking out and pulling yeah. people in towards the centre. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's take the best of all of these three elements. Yeah, totally. Those people, you know, they are facilitating. So they're matchmaking people within the organisation to do sharing and also if they can integrate their engagement processes so there's not 60 or 70 going on. You know, in the ideal world, you want a lot less than that because you want to be respecting people's time. You don't want to be inviting them to a workshop every day of the week. Have one workshop, you know, and, and cover off on all the issues. So I'm I'm seeing some threads of that here in New Zealand, definitely. And something that I'm not seeing, which I'm hearing you talk about a couple of times in there, those words, social impact. And we've got lots of social impact work going, but I don't hear people talking about community engagement for social impact. And I'm really interested in how you kind of almost combine those two fields or ways of thinking. Mm. What does that look like? Yeah. So we are calling on members of the public or stakeholders to be part of the program. And we've got a responsibility there, a responsibility to treat them with respect and give them equitable and accessible opportunities to participate and participate in ways that they're, you know, they're comfortable with who they actually are and what their background is shouldn't really matter. That we should be able mm. to kind of tailor the opportunity, depend, it doesn't matter what their cultural background is, their language is, et cetera. So what happens with social impact and the process of engagement, we look at opportunities to build connection in the community between different groups, sometimes similar groups. We mm-hmm. look at opportunities to build skills. Why would I go and consult a group of Somali women when I could bring in a Somali woman I meet through a community organisation mm-hmm. and train her up? to go out and mm. do the engagement, pay her for her time. Yeah. So not only am I doing what I need to for my project, I'm building the confidence and the skills, putting something mm. on this woman's resume, and then she's going out to her community as well and creating those connections. So it's opportunities 
to bring the community in to help support the engagement, opportunities for them to connect with each other, opportunities for community celebration as well within the toolkit. So, you know, yeah, so despising the engagement is something much more fun, <laughs> like a festival or, you know, but there's, you know, there's lots of different ways to have, have impact. More often than not, people will say, I've got nothing to add to this engagement. And like, you know, I've got nothing, especially if it's like a box pop, you're out in the street, you say, hey, do you want to have a coffee? <laughs> I want to talk about the future of blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, well, I want the coffee, but I've got nothing to yeah. say about the future. Blah, blah. <laughs> but if you sit with someone and mm. and talk to them and, and make them see that everyone has something to offer and that they have mm. something to offer to these conversations, you know, you can make a difference in people's lives. You know, not only will they start to understand what engagement is and opportunities to participate, it can lead to higher levels of volunteerism, better relationships with whoever the proponent is, all of those things just from one really positive interaction. Hmm. Kapiri goes out to all corners of the community. And I would say that in Australia, at least 95% of the community, the public, is hard to reach. So we need to go out to them and foreign them. And, you know, we often have those, those conversations. We have, just have to do it in a respectful way because we can really, you can, through, through one conversation, you can change people's lives. And yeah, I've got lots of examples of that, like different cultural groups within the same, meeting with them in the same setting. There were two cultural groups within a public housing estate. They never mixed at all, but I brought them together to the same forum to talk about the community garden within the estate. And at the end, mm-hmm. they were like, you know, you you were migrants when we were migrants. We've got the same migrant, oh, a refugee actually, experience mm. changing, exchanging phone numbers. Let's do stuff together. You know, <laughs> so that that is that's actually a huge yeah. social impact that I think a lot of practitioners don't realise that they can mm. they can change things in the community. You know, it's mm. really powerful. Yeah, mm. hey, I love that. So it's not just what do I need to do for my engagement project? What does my in charge need? It's also, how can I leave things better off once this official project uh, has ended? Yeah. yeah. And that transactional engagement is probably what did happen 20 years ago. And it still mm. does happen now all the time because of those things like time and resources and money. But mm. I I often call that that transactional engagement will be a project yeah. team going into a community, taking what they want because yeah. they need to tick some boxes on a scene to get the yeah. thing built or done. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not good enough. You know, and I often struggle with the fact that I'm a consultant and I've always been a consultant. So the relationship by having these communities, mm. they have an expiry date. So I need to work with my client yeah. and kind of, you know, I'm there with the community and I'm like, come over here, client, here's your community yeah. and they're okay. And, and then slowly walk away. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I'm aware, aware of time, but there's one thing I want to go back to and hear your thoughts on before we start wrapping this up, because you dropped in the P word, politics, and mentioned how you've had some previous experiences where that's been really hard to navigate and has made you want to tap out. And yeah, I think that that's really common for anybody working in local or central government in particular. I'm interested in what your perspectives are on that experience for people. When there's politics in play in engagement, it's like a dark cloud, but it is there in every engagement, I suppose, because it's whether the politics is bottom up or top down or where it's mm. kind of coming from. But I, I I find that when the politics are involved, often there's a predetermined outcome. Yeah. You know, they, they already know what they want it to be. 
whatever that is, then why are we having the engagement? If this mm. is a PR activity, then it's, don't call it engagement, call it something yeah. else. It's not, yeah. not, you can design the best engagement uh, that's really inclusive, really creative. And then the day before, you know, the senior political person that's pulling yeah. the strings says, we're not doing it. And, you know, I've been in a few situations like that before, you know, it's not going to work based on their zero experience in engagement. So mm. it just, you know, that for us in that 60% design phase, it's like, mm. what's the political landscape? There's some of the questions as well. So we understand what the risks are because we need to be able to communicate that to the community as well. We're not going to communicate this is a political project. It's high risk. It's more that, you know, the engagement will be starting at the end of the year. We're not going to say it's going to start on the 1st of September or the 1st of <laughs> November because we don't know because of the yeah. politics. Often the politics impact time, the timing of projects, but it can also just, it, it can impact the toolkit as well. You know, mm. someone's gut feel on something being too touchy-feely, they want to go with the survey instead. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah. doing as much as you can in that preparation phase to understand the politics totally. and then some sometimes they just get away on you that's politics isn't it and yeah I yeah. guess we just have to accept it yeah and you know what we do now is okay politics are happening we're going to put a pause button on the project because yeah. while the project is live and running we're using your resources energy and time yeah. when we can do other things Let's put a pause button on it, resolve the political issue, and then we'll, we'll come back to it. Or not. Mm. It might look like something a bit mm. different. But, yeah, pause button, buttoning projects, because I think a lot of engagement practitioners will just sort of be there treading water, and it's like, oh, my God, how frustrating for you while this other conversation is, is taking yeah. place. Just, you know, just get out of the pool, go and do your yeah. other thing, distract yourself, let that happen, and then come back to it. Yeah. Oh, Amy, thank you so much. We've covered all sorts of ground looking at what is and isn't engagement, what's inclusive versus exclusive, the engagement triangle, how do you set things up for success and spend time preparing and, you know, how do you combine community engagement with social impact? I've learned a lot from you. Are there any final things you want to add or cover? Um, So my last key message is your decision makers are key and Getting your decision makers on board with your engagement is so important because at the end of the day, what you prepare as the outcome or output from the engagement, the audience is the decision maker. It might be the planners that are or the policy writers that are amending their documents, but it's the decision maker. And if they're not across the intent and the purpose of the engagement, what the outcomes are going to be, then they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. And you can do the best engagement process inclusive goes to all corners mm. of the community but if the decision makers not listening at the end it's not only a waste of time for people diminishes trust yeah. reputation all of those things so if the decision makers not there and confident and has signed off on those goalposts if mm. they're not i probably wouldn't do the engagement there's no point yeah <laughs> that's that's my last message, Deborah. Nice. That's an important last message. Nice one, Amy. Hey, well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially while you're in the middle of your sabbatical. Because, yeah, gosh, if I was about to have a three-month sabbatical, I don't think my brain would be working as well as yours seems to be at the <laughs> moment. So, yeah, really appreciate your time, Amy. And we'll share the Engagement Triangle and the Compare website with people as well. Great. Thanks very much, Paul. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Ngā mihi mō te whakarongo.